Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. School shooting in Iowa. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Nicole Murray. On this Friday, January 5th, glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. A sixth grader has been killed after police say a 17-year-old opened fire at Perry High School, northwest of Des Moines. Secretary of State Antony Blinken begins a diplomatic tour in the Middle East today as concerns mount that the war in Gaza could widen. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump is expanding his lead in Iowa ahead of the caucus 10 days from now. Hear how he's done it. And Americans first cut the cable cord, now they're canceling their streaming services. I think the Hollywood strikes also played a role in the perceived value. Um, there were fewer shows you know, being released, their production halts industry-wide last year for, for many, many months, slowed the flow of new content. And so that coupled with price increases in a lot of the consumers' minds of, of the people that I talked to, together added up to this question of, do I really need all of them or should I just pick my favorites? Sarah Krauss at the Wall Street Journal on how the likes of Netflix and Hulu are now trying to keep us as customers. A school shooting in Iowa has left a sixth grader dead and five others injured in a rural area northwest of Des Moines. Police say 17-year-old Dylan Butler, a student at Perry High School, was armed with a shotgun and a handgun when he opened fire at his school yesterday morning before the start of classes. He was found dead from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Mitch Mortvet, criminal investigator with the Iowa Department of Public Safety, says the injured included one school administrator and four students. None had life-threatening injuries. It all happened in the uh, Perry High School and it was before school started so there were not many students and it's our understanding that there was a breakfast program going on so there may have been students of of different grade meanwhile two friends and their mother who spoke with the Associated Press, said the gunman had been bullied for years. Shortly before the shooting, the AP says he posted a photo inside the school bathroom captioned, Now We Wait, along with a song called Stray Bullet. The Pentagon says the U.S. military has launched a retaliatory strike in Iraq that killed a militia leader, it blames, for recent attacks on U.S. personnel. The strike yesterday targeted Mushtaq Jawad Kazim al-Jawari as he traveled in a vehicle in eastern Baghdad. Defense officials say he was a leader of Harakat al-Nujaba, who was involved in planning and carrying out attacks against American personnel. He's also known as Mushtaq Talib al-Sadi. Pentagon spokesperson Major General Patrick Ryder. It is important to note that the strike was taken in self-defense, that no civilians were harmed, and that no infrastructure or facilities were struck. Since the Israel-Hamas war began in October, the U.S. military has come under attack at least 100 times in Iraq and Syria, usually with a mix of rockets and one-way attack drones. Militia groups aligned with Iran oppose Israel's campaign in Gaza and hold the U.S. partly responsible. The United States has 2,500 troops in Iraq and another 900 in neighboring Syria. A second round of documents pertaining to late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein has been released. The documents include arguments by attorneys for Virginia Jeffrey, who sought to depose former President Bill Clinton as part of her lawsuit against Epstein associate Ghislaine Maxwell. More from this morning's Mike Gavin. Jeffrey's lawyers wrote that Clinton was a key person who can provide information about his close relationship with defendant and Mr. Epstein. Mr. Clinton is not accused of wrongdoing in the lawsuit. Also, Epstein accuser Johanna Soberg spoke about celebrities Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett, Bruce Willis, and Cameron Diaz during her deposition. All four were brought up during the same line of questioning and mostly in passing. None of them are accused of wrongdoing. 
Gordon. Thank you, Mike. In the coming days, the courts are expected to release hundreds more newly unsealed documents after a judge ruled last month that there was no legal justification for continuing to conceal more than 150 names mentioned in the records. The judge had ordered the unsealing to begin after January 1st. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Friday. Former President Trump's lead in the first presidential contest state of Iowa is growing. Less than two weeks before the caucuses, the Hill Decision Desk HQ polling average shows Trump leading the field in Iowa with about 52 percent support, while Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley trail at 18 and 17 percent. Analysis from Julia Manchester, national political correspondent at The Hill. Julia, what's up in the Hawkeye state? Yeah, so in Iowa, Trump is leading by double digits. And in a lot of the commentary we've heard coming out of Iowa, we've heard a lot of focus on DeSantis's ground operation in particular. But Trump has slowly been building ground operation himself in Iowa, you know, going back eight years now. So this is something that Trump's been working towards, and it's paying off in the polls, not only in Iowa, but across the country in national polls also in New Hampshire. I think the lead Trump has is a bit wider than it is in Iowa than it is in maybe New Hampshire, but his campaign is really hoping to put the nail on the coffin in Iowa so he can be considered the presumptive nominee coming out of the contest. And when we say put the nail in the coffin in Iowa, that means what? Just win by a massive margin? Yes, win by a massive margin and to fend off Haley and DeSantis in particular. All right. So it, because I, I think the lead is so huge in Iowa, I, th- I think, as a, an outsider, junior pundit, is that nobody's made significant progress against him at all. No one has, but I think the hope from the, the DeSantis camp in particular is that caucuses can be very unpredictable because we know that at a precinct site at caucuses, there's always room for politicking and people to change their minds, that kind of a thing. So I think there's that hope that that could happen and, you know, either in sort of cut into Trump Trump's lead in a way. But at the same time, it seems like Trump has a very well operated caucus operation. They've been training these precinct captains that are volunteers for the Trump campaign. So they, um, you know, the other campaigns really have their work cut out for them. Yeah. has Just, just clarify, because you touched on that earlier, has the, the Trump operation been in Iowa for like the past four years or three years gearing up for this? Well, they've been in Iowa technically for the past eight years, going back to 2016 and, you know, maybe 2015 even. And they're trying to correct what happened in Iowa in 2016 when Trump lost to Ted Cruz. They want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And like I said, they want to, um, you know, successfully fend off Haley and DeSantis. We're speaking with Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Her piece is called Trump is Growing Stronger in Iowa. Why? Um, he, he's treating this, I, I guess, to a certain extent, he's being treated as also the incumbent, right? 
he is being treated as the incumbent in a way he is he's the last republican president um you know he was president four years ago so for the republicans he is in many ways and that means he has access to more cash he has a fundraising operation and you have his base that continues to support him you said though there are there are room for surprises here in the next uh, what 10 months like what so surprises having to do, you know, as small as what could happen at a caucus site going to New Hampshire. We know that the, the Trump's lead is a bit more narrow in New Hampshire over Haley. Um, and then you have his legal issues and that, that's falling right in the middle of the primary calendar. I think the day after or the day before Super Tuesday. And that's part of the reason why they want to really uh, wrap up these contests. So by the time they get to New Hampshire, they can say, He's the nominee, and he doesn't have many challenges against him at that point. Uh, I believe you referenced before that uh, Governor DeSantis has invested a lot in Iowa. What happens if he fares poorly? You know, that's a good question. I think it depends on his financial situation at that point. If he fares poorly, though, it's not good for his campaign. Um, You know, he's banking on a good performance in Iowa that will give him enough momentum going into New Hampshire. But the problem is... um, the momentum just isn't necessarily there right now in Iowa because Trump is leading by so much. And then what about Nikki Haley for that matter? You know, look, she's put more of an emphasis on New Hampshire than Iowa. This is something the DeSantis campaign has really seized on. She talked about during an appearance at New Hampshire that New Hampshire would correct the results from Iowa. And the her lead in Iowa is larger, in, in New Hampshire is larger than it is in Iowa. And then there's the factor of if Christie were to Chris Christie were to drop out, there's no indication that he will. But if he were, that lead could be narrowed between Haley and Trump, assuming a lot of his voters would go to Haley. I would think um, that that if polling is correct and uh, Haley loses Iowa, loses New Hampshire, she's holding on for her home state of South Carolina at a minimum. That could happen. Trump still leads in South Carolina, but she would absolutely want to hold on to that. She was a popular governor. She's obviously a South Carolinian, so that might be the hope. Thanks, Julia. Julia Manchester, national politics correspondent at The Hill. 20 minutes now after the hour on This Morning, America's First News. Here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. A high school student shot and killed a sixth grader and wounded five others at Perry High School in Iowa yesterday morning. Among those injured was a school administrator and four other students. The shooter, 17-year-old Dylan Butler, who was a student at the school, was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. His motive remains unknown. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds says she vows to find answers. It's impossible to understand why anything like this happens. But again, I want you to know that we'll work tirelessly to get the answers so that we can prevent it from happening again. The K-12 school shooting database says this is the fourth shooting at a school in 2024. Number two. Five Illinois voters have filed a petition to remove Donald Trump from the state's 2024 presidential ballot. The voters say Trump violated the 14th Amendment of the Constitution through his involvement with the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Similar petitions have been filed in at least a dozen other states. Colorado and Maine have already banned Trump from their 2024 primary election ballots. 
Number three. A New York City mayor, Eric Adams, has announced a lawsuit against 17 bus and transportation companies for violating state law when transporting over 30,000 migrants to the city. Apple Adams says the Big Apple is seeking over $700 million in damages to cover the costs of sheltering and caring for migrants. Mayor Adams also commented on Texas Governor Greg Abbott's involvement. Governor Abbott's continuing use of migrants as political pawns is not only chaotic and inhumane, but makes clear he puts politics over people. Today's lawsuit should serve as a warning to all those who break the law in this way. Houston's new mayor and top law enforcement officials have shared their safety plan for the upcoming college football playoff national championship game. The game, which is four days away, is expected to attract more than 100,000 people. The city says they are well-versed in hosting large events. A Pittsburgh couple's dog decided to have an expensive snack, eating and ripping up nearly $4,000 in cash. The couple had to get down and dirty after the dog's bathroom sessions each day to recover the destroyed money to be reimbursed by the U.S. Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. My dog mm-hmm. has ripped up things, but of all things, yeah. I keep cash far away. Agreed. I, I've had no cash issues. Plenty of other valuable things, but not cash. Oh, man. Thank you, Nicole. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. It's getting a lot harder for streaming services to hold on to their customers. Consumers nationwide are trimming their streaming bills and getting more strategic about when they turn services on and off. More from Sarah Krauss, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Sarah, what's happening? And what's happening is more families are looking at their growing streaming bill, the number of services that they've accumulated over the last few years, along with the price increases that a lot of those services have put into place and saying, you know what, do I need all of these? Should I get more strategic about when I turn them on and off? And what do I value the most? So you kind of have this rethink of what's worth paying for. What kind of role is inflation having in all this? Do we know? Well, certainly, you know, the cost of these services have gone up. The cost of living has gone up. That's one factor that families are considering. I think the Hollywood strikes also played a role in the perceived value. Um, There were fewer shows you know, being released, their production halts industry-wide last year for, for many, many months slowed the flow of new content. And so that coupled with price increases in a lot of the consumers' minds of, of the people that I talked to together added up to this question of, do I really need all of them or should I just pick my favorites? Mm. All right. So streamers are saying, uh-oh, this is, this is a trend we want to stop. Um, they are doing what to keep us? So there's a few different uh, tactics that streamers have started to use. They they had to raise prices because they're pushing towards profitability and there's a lot of shareholder pressure to do that. But in the meantime, what they've done is offer ad-supported tiers of services, which gives 
consumers a cheaper option to pay for where they get the same content, but they watch ads and pay a lower price in exchange for that. That delivers ad revenue and subscriber revenue to the streamers. Um, more streamers are also launching bundles with rivals um, where they are packaging together uh, streaming services that for a lower than face value price, give consumers, you know, sort of all the more content and more diversity. And what a lot of companies have found so far is that bundled services tend to have lower rates of churn or customer defections. We're speaking with Sarah Kraus, L.A. bureau chief at The Wall Street Journal. Her story is called Americans are canceling more of their streaming services. Is there any particular streaming service, I guess, being targeted more so than others? Um, Well, I'll answer it in reverse, which is that Netflix tends to have the lowest rate of churn. It has long um, been the the streaming service that people are most loath to cancel. And that is something that has endured even as the broader rate of churn in the industry has gone up. Um, And so while I did talk to some people who sort of downgraded from maybe the most expensive Netflix plan to the mid-tier, that was the one that households found and and continually find the hardest to part ways with. Um, You see a lot more jumping around with like a a Peacock, you know, maybe you signed up for a specific sporting event and ended it when it was done. Um, Paramount Plus, maybe you watched a hit show and then decided, you know, there's not enough other stuff for me there. Um, HBO, similarly, maybe you binge the prestige TV and then say, you know what, I don't need this for the next couple of months. I'll come back when the next hit lands. So those are the services that are on the higher end of it while Netflix um, has long and remains on the lower end. I didn't realize uh, Netflix had options like uh, the one guy in your story chose where it was like uh, like a lower quality video that, that came with a certain package. Yeah. And in that case, you know, it's, it, there's ultra high definition and then there's one step down, which is still HD. So um, really what some consumers with Netflix who are trying to control their bills are thinking through is, do I am I willing to watch an ad supported tier of service uh, or do I want to choose between the two higher cost plans? Um, the middle one allows fewer devices of concurrent viewing and slightly lower video quality, but it's still a fairly high quality experience. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah Krause at The Wall Street Journal. 30 minutes now after the hour on This Morning, America's First News. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Your brain's morning workout. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Friday, January 5. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Some of our top stories and headlines. A sixth grader in rural Iowa has been killed in a school shooting northwest of Des Moines. The U.S. rubs out a terrorist leader as he traveled in eastern Baghdad. Dozens injured after two subway trains collided in New York. North Korea earlier today fired over 200 artillery rounds near its disputed sea boundary with South Korea. Former South African Olympic runner Oscar Pistorius is out of prison after almost nine years, convicted of killing his girlfriend. The NFL regular season wraps up this weekend, and a hero dad in Minnesota. That story in about 20 minutes. 
The Labor Department releases the December jobs report today. Here's a preview from Mark Hamrick, Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate.com. Mark, give us expectations. Gordon, we've been through a lot over the past several years. I don't have to tell anybody that. And one of the things that's really happening, I think, with the economy can really be thought along the lines of a couple of words that I've been focusing on. And they are, one, normalization. And the second is moderation. And what that really means when it relates to the job market is that things are getting back to pre-pandemic experiences or levels. The rate of hiring is slowing. The number of job openings is falling. And the unemployment rate is still low, but getting closer to sort of its historical average of about 4%. So what does that mean for this last jobs report for 2023? And acknowledging that, you know, these numbers can be revised for a couple of months after the fact. Well, again, normalization, moderation, we expect to see about, let's say, 160,000 jobs added. That's down from the pace of the full year and less than half of the average that we saw in all of 2023 on a monthly basis. And the job market really continues to, in a sense, march in place. It's uh, seeing higher unemployment. We had a more than 50-year low earlier this year of with the unemployment rate. And we're expecting to see that unemployment rate move to about 3.8% for December, and then that essentially closes the book on the year. All right. One of the latest pieces of data we got was the job openings, which were lower in, I think the latest data was November. Take us through that. What does that mean for us? Well, this is consistent with what, you know, I I said earlier in the sense of getting back to a new normal, and and we think about the economy being dynamic, and it's always in process to moving to the next place. But in in the sense of where we are with job openings, uh, they were down uh, to 8.8 million, and that's uh, off the peak during the post-pandemic period of 12 million job openings. And it does turn out to be the lowest number of job openings since March of 21. But let's think about the fact and we can all remember this, that we shut the economy down or the economy was closed down because of COVID. Uh, and, you know, that meant an, a, a sharp rise in unemployment claims, sharp rise in the unemployment rate. And then there was this reopening. And that's where we got to the 12 million job openings and now resetting at a lower level below 9 million. But we're still above pre-pandemic levels with that number of job openings. So, you know, for those who are interested in looking for work or need to look for work, uh, there should still be, I would say, you know, for the most part, sufficient opportunity out there. We're speaking with Mark Hamrick, Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate.com. We're previewing the December jobs report. Um, Where are we on wages, Mark? The good news about wages here is that uh, while they have uh, come down from their previous higher levels, Uh, The overall pace of wage growth, let's just put it at about an annual pace of 4%, is slightly above uh, the recent pace of the rise in consumer prices or inflation. And so while we were sort of, you know, damaged by the experience of historically high inflation where consumer prices were recently about 20% higher than they were uh, before the pandemic, meaning that while you could buy for $100 during those times would recently cost you 120. Uh, We are seeing that wage growth now outpacing inflation, and that's expected to probably remain intact for some time to come. It doesn't mean that we are essentially uh, absolved or have resolution of the inflation problem and the impacts on personal finances, but 
sort of in a real time basis, we're in a better place with that. All right. Finish up if you would. I mean, are we are we still discussing the possibility of a recession? It's important to note, Gordon, that recessions are normal parts of economic activity over time. We essentially go between expansions, which translate to growth, and contractions, which translate to negative GDP. Unfortunately, the last couple of recessions that we've had were real doozies. We had a 10% unemployment rate during the great financial crisis, 14.7% in March of 2020 when we were shutting the economy down. Uh, And the next recession will probably not be nearly as severe, but we don't know the causes or, let's say, timing of all that. All right. Thanks, Mark. Mark Hamrick, Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate.com. Today's Mic Drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies Advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Friday. Time now for the Mic Drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, many of us might want to forget the dark days of 2020, trapped at home with the only contact with the outside world. World coming from a Zoom meeting or maybe a Peloton ride. You never know who might show up in a Peloton class in those days, and that includes acclaimed movie director Christopher Nolan. Nolan accepted an award for his blockbuster Oppenheimer this week, and he used his acceptance speech to talk about an incident back in 2020 when he was riding his Peloton and the instructor started ripping one of his movies. <laughs> Asking out loud, did anyone see this? And proclaiming that it was a couple hours of her life that she'd never get back. Nolan didn't name names or the movie, but Internet Sleuths figured out that the instructor was Jen Sherman and the movie she was ripping was Tenant, released in September of that year. By last night, after Nolan's comments made headlines across the Internet, Sherman had owned up to it on Instagram and was seemingly thrilled by the whole exchange, calling it a huge day for her to find out that Nolan even knows who she is. She went on to say that 2020 was a dark time and that that while she didn't understand what was happening in Tenet, she did see Oppenheimer twice and loved it. Excellent. Yeah. Good job, Jen Sherman. Making make amends. A, yeah, yeah. a lot of people didn't see Tenet, and yeah. that, that was one of the few movies that was actually released in theaters in 2020. Yeah, right. But he, uh, uh, Nolan was adamant that he wanted to put it out in theaters. That was the way it was meant to be seen. Okay. Not a lot of people saw it, and the people that did see it were uh, uh, very confused, mm. from what I understand. Uh, perhaps not surprisingly, I did not see it. No, no. Did Wait, you? I did not see it either. Okay. I did see Oppenheimer, though. I very much yeah. enjoyed Oppenheimer. Uh, Jen Sherman, the Peloton OG. Yeah, yeah. Right? She was the very first, I think, riding instructor at Peloton. Oh, okay. Pride of Fort Lee, New Jersey. <laughs> very nice. And uh, suffice it did to I say... Did I mention she's an attractive woman? Uh, you didn't have to. Do you, do, you, did, you deduce that from, I mean, from what well, I was saying. Well, the fact the way you kept going on and on and on <laughs> about her made me kind of assume that. And uh, suffice it to say, a fast food or co- coffee shop bathroom is not anybody's favorite place to do their business, but you can't help it when nature calls and you're on the go. Unfortunately, that was terrible timing for one Duncan customer who had a miserable time in one of the chain's bathrooms and is now suing. The man named Paul Kerouac is seeking more than $100,000 in a lawsuit filed this week following the explosion of a toilet in the men's room of a Duncan location in Winter Park, Florida over a year ago. The suit says that after the explosion left Paul covered in human feces, urine, and debris, he walked out of the men's room seeking help from workers and the store's manager. An employee told him that they were aware of the problem with the toilet since there had been previous incidents. The lawsuit says Paul suffered bodily injury and he's required mental health care and counseling since the incident. What 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 do you, what happens here? What 
<laughs> like, what? How does that happen? How does it, like, how does the, it explode? Like like it, like the porcelain is not shattering. Like the, the thing just like regurgitates so violently. Is I, that, that that's oh my, my guess. Goodness. It just came like, sort of shooting back up again, and then he walks out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that happens all the time." Yeah. Probably not something that you want to say to somebody who might sue you down the line. Right. How about uh, <laughs> maybe you should exit the back door? We'll take care of this privately. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Oh just, my. Just stand goodness. there. Imagine you're a customer online, and yeah. this guy comes walking out, and right. he's, he's covered. Yes. And smells. Right. And, and he's miserable. Yeah. He's probably screaming. Yeah. Just, yeah. Everybody's day is ruined. Anybody oh who's within goodness. like, you know, 50 feet of this guy. Yeah. I'll come back next week and get that donut. <laughs> we'll let this guy have his moment. Yes. Oof. Thank you, Mike. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists, and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thanks for spending time with us. Did you make some New Year's resolutions? The Better Business Bureau is suggesting you also make five more to avoid being scammed this year. Number one, be cautious with email. Be wary of unsolicited emails from a person or company. Never click on links or open attachments in unsolicited emails. Number two, never send money to strangers. If you haven't met a person face-to-face, don't send the money. Scammers are great at tricking you into panicking, so think the situation through. Number three, do research before making online payments and purchases. Ask yourself, is this a person or business I know and trust? Do they have a working customer service number? Have I checked to see if others have complained? Number four, use your best judgment when sharing personal info. Never share financial info, your birth date, address, social security number, or Medicare number with an unsolicited caller. And number five, be social media smart. Only connect with people you know. Be careful about including personal info in your profile and be careful when buying products you see on social media. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on This Morning. Once again, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. A second batch of documents naming Jeffrey Epstein's victims, associates, and personnel has been released to the public. One of the newer forms lays out the process Epstein and his former lover, Ghislaine Maxwell, used to find and recruit young girls. High-profile names include former President Bill Clinton, Leonardo DiCaprio, Bruce Willis, and more. Many names on this list belong to people who have not been accused of wrongdoing. More document releases are expected in the coming weeks. Number two. A high school student shot and killed a sixth grader and wounded five others at an Iowa high school yesterday morning. Shooter 17-year-old Dylan Butler, who was a student at the school, was found dead from self-inflicted gunshot wounds. His motive remains unknown. Mitch Mortvet with Iowa's Division of Criminal Investigation reveals details on the case. Butler was armed with a pump-action shotgun and a small-caliber handgun. Butler also made a number of social media posts in and around the time of the shooting. The Associated Press has described Butler as a quiet person who was bullied for years. Number three. A Nevada defendant who violently attacked and injured Judge Mary Kay Holthus is facing additional charges. Deobra Dellen Redden, who was already charged with 13 counts, including extortion and coercion with force, now faces seven additional charges, including battery on a protected person. Nevada Chief Judge Jerry Weiss says that courtrooms need better security. I don't know if an additional marshal could have prevented it or not, but if we could get additional marshals in the courtroom, we think that that would uh, always be better for 
the, the court, for the, the staff we have here, and for the public. Hulthus is already back to work. In and around. A retaliatory American drone strike has killed an Iranian-backed militia leader in Baghdad. U.S. officials say the strike was an aggressive tactic to stop attacks on American forces overseas. Iranian militias have carried out over 120 attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq since mid-October. Previous U.S. strikes were meant to neutralize threats without escalating conflict between the U.S. and Iran. A sports fanatic's wife made the football season a bit more interesting for herself. Her husband regularly jumps out of his chair, yells at the TV, and loudly claps after plays. The wife created a bingo card filled with his regular football cheering habits, including quiet clap, flexes, and more. Can I guess what the others are? Like one might be swearing? Swearing. Fist, fist pumps? Fist pumps, I think. Um, Yelling? Running across the room oh. was another one. <laughs> You could do this for anything, <laughs> like great. every time we fill our coffee here. Right. True, true. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks for being with us. A viral video being celebrated on social media shows a father carrying his paraplegic son up three flights of stairs at a train station in Berlin, Germany. Mason Brandstrader, who lives in Duluth, Minnesota, frequently posts about his life as a paraplegic on TikTok. He shattered his spine at the age of 17 after crashing while skiing. In Berlin, Brandstrader had set his camera at the bottom of the stairs with a caption that reads, quote, when the elevator's broken, but your parents got you. In the video, dad approaches the problem saying, I got you, while carrying his son on his back while his mother brings the wheelchair up the stairs after them. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.